your Bibles. This morning we'll look at Mark's gospel again, chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. We'll just read three verses today as we work our way. And Jesus has now made his way into Jerusalem. And these chapters here, as we've mentioned a number of times, are the final week the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ leading up to the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection. We find here in these next few weeks, but we're working our way as we follow step by step with our Lord working His way to that end. Uh, Mark chapter 11, uh, begin reading with me verses number 15 through 18, please. And they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. Boy, just so much packed into these few verses here. Just uh, so many things. And we, as we spend time looking at this this morning, I want us to Consider some thoughts out of the cleansing of the temple. Jesus here, this is a uh, second time we find Jesus early on in his earthly ministry. In John chapter number 2, you'll find where Jesus, he made his way into the temple and he cleansed the temple. Here we find it again on his last week of ministry. He begins in the temple and he ends in the temple. Uh, and And so we see the process of this, and we see why Jesus did what he did. As we begin our time today, I I would like for us all to individually consider this question. Why do we attend church? Why do we attend church? For what purpose have we come this morning? Individually, not as a group, but individually, what, what was the the prodding behind us getting up this morning and coming to church. Often we ask it the other way instead of asking why do we attend church. Oftentimes, and a preacher may ask you this way, particularly if you hadn't seen you in a little while, why didn't you attend church? It's usually from the other perspective. Why didn't you attend? Where you been? Hadn't seen you in a while. There are, when we think about that one, there are maybe some a few legitimate reasons that we might have for not attending church. And I'll emphasize, put emphasis on the word few. (laughs) Just emphasize, make sure I get that there. Emphasize the word few legitimate reasons. You can call me an old-fashioned preacher, a stick in the mud if if you like. Uh, You can can say that about me if you choose, but I just believe, I I just believe, I can't get past it. I believe that every child of God ought to gather with the people of God every time the opportunity presents itself. I just believe it with all my heart. 
If that makes me old-fashioned, that makes me uh, stick in the mud, that's okay, because this book, this, that means this book is old-fashioned. Uh, that's just what the Bible teaches, I believe. We ought to be in church every time we have the opportunity. Now, there are a few legitimate reasons for not regularly attending church. I mentioned that, but there are, I say a few there, but on the other side, there are tons of illegitimate reasons for not attending. And those are the ones that you hear most. Those are the ones that people tend to look for. Studies continue to show today that year after year, droves of professing Christians are beginning less and less or becoming less and less practicing with regards to church attendance. Droves of professing but less practicing. The, one, the main reasons, one of the first things that happens is the drop off of church attendance. Church attendance is really not seen today. The younger crowd is, does not see church attendance as a needful thing. And I'm so thankful for the live stream. I am thankful for that. We were, during this beginning of this pandemic thing, I appreciate Brother Andrew and others who really just jumped and took to task and got this thing up and going, and it was really helpful. I'll be honest to say there's a part of me, then maybe an ornery side, if there could be such a thing, that would just say, let's just go ahead and pull the plug on it, and so everybody would come back to church. But I also have found that there's been some blessings out of that, because people who cannot be here can still be here this way. And if that's you here today, and praise God for you. If you're watching by way of live stream, I'm happy for you. I'm thrilled, and we'll keep on doing it. But if you're just... Staying home today because you can watch on live stream, drinking your coffee and wearing your pajamas, then shame on you. You need to be in church. You need to be in church. I just believe the Bible teaches it. I believe a, a willful, neglectful forsaking of the assembly of God will bring eventual ruin into the life of a Christian. Mark it down. You and I, we've seen it over and over again. You start neglecting the house of God, it'll bring ruin into your life. It'll open up the devil's playground into your life. But let me get back to the question. This question, uh, get off track. The question this morning is, why do we attend? Uh, I don't want to preach on why we don't. We could stay there a lot, and maybe I spend more time there than I ought. But why do we attend? Why do we come, now think about this, why do we come for, if we come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and even for those radical folks who come on Wednesday night, think about it, three hours a week. Why will we come to church for three hours a week, and if the preacher's long-winded, three and a half hours a week? Why do we do such a thing? I would submit to you this morning that there are multitudes of right reasons for church attendance. But there are unlimited blessings that cannot be found anywhere other 
than by way of church attendance. Unlimited blessings. Those who simply lay out, lose out every time. Every time. Of all the right reasons, the unlimited blessings, blessings that are associated with the attendance of the house of God, and I say that under the understanding of the gathering of God's people. God does not dwell within these buildings, but the, the gathering of God's people. Jesus, in our text this morning, addresses the main number one reason for why we are to come together as a body of believers. That number one reason that we are to come together Again, the reasons, the blessings, the, the outgrowing of that are multitudes, they're unlimited. But the main reason we are to come together is to worship God. It's to worship God. That is why we are to gather on Sundays, morning and Sunday evening. One hour, two hours, and three hours, maybe even on Wednesday As Christians, we are to worship God. Now, as Christians, we're to worship God, understand, every day. It's not just a Sunday. We're to worship God every day in the way in which we live as individuals. We just don't come to church on Monday and worship God. If we do, if you, you, and then leave that on Excuse me, come to church on Sunday, worship God, and leave out on Monday and not worship God. If that's the case, we didn't worship God on Sunday. You see, really, I believe Sunday morning worship ought to be an outflowing of an all-week worship of God. We ought to come together and we ought to be expressing how God's blessed us. We ought to be expressing what God's doing. We ought to be sharing our prayer requests. We ought to be praying one for another. It ought to be an outflow of a week of inflow of God into our lives. As individuals, we ought to worship God every day. The worship of God is to be a Monday through Saturday affair In the way in which we live, we act and we dress, the way in which we entertain ourselves, the way in which we, the places we go, the way we think, our, our attitudes about life, our finances, our thankfulness, our witness, our testimony, the Bible calls it our conversation, it's the way in which we live. It ought to be in that of worshiping of God all the week long. So we worship God every day. As individuals, and then we come together and worship God on Sunday as a body of believers, as an outflowing of that. We worship our Lord on Sunday as a body of believers, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but even the much the more so as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching, folks. Jesus is coming back. I don't need to be out of church. I need to be in church. Sunday, 
Sunday, it's a gathering of the believers. It's the first day of the week. We give God the first fruits of our life and our time. The first day of the week, it's a day in which we put Him first. We give Him our best. We worship Him. We give Him our time. We give Him our tithes. We give Him our talents. We give Him our service. It's important that we sing and we express thankfulness to Him. It's important that we sing. We express thankfulness to God. Uh, Psalm 9 and 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. Psalm 22 and 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. That means when we get together, we're not talking about NASCAR or the Atlanta Braves. Or anything like that. Our main conversation is about the glory of God. It's about the goodness of God. Verse 25 of Psalm 22. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. I want people to know that I praise God in the congregation. That's when I'm going to do it. When I'm going to gather with believers. Psalm 50 and 6, let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You got any breath? Just see if it works. Praise the Lord. That's what the Bible says. We are to worship the Lord every day as individuals, and we are to worship the Lord Sunday with other believers. One writer said it this way To worship is to quicken the conscience. By the holiness of God. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God. To devote devote the will to the purpose of God. And I'll add, to be conformed into the image of God. That's why we're to come to the church. Why we're to come and we gather as believers The temple here in Jesus' day was a place of worship. It was a place of worship to God. But it had been transformed into a den of thieves. That's our text this morning. God shows up in church and he says, enough is enough. It's time to stop. Enough's enough. Now we could spend a whole Sunday morning just preaching on that issue right there. The issues that go on in much of Christendom today within the church. A whole series of messages for sure. But we won't do that this morning. Out of our text, I want us to see several things this morning. Out of these verses that we read. I want to see, first of all, the divine authority of Christ. Jesus makes his way into the temple, and I want us to see the divine authority of Christ. Verse number 15, it says, Jesus, he went into the temple. Verse number 17, he says, my house shall be called. He's possessive of it. He says, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's possessive of his church. He went into the temple. He says, it's my house. In Matthew 21's account of the same uh, passage, the passage account of the same uh, situation here, this 
this, that transpired there in the temple. Jesus, it says Jesus went into the temple of God. During the wilderness journeys of Israel, God dwelt first before the people. And the people understood and recognized his presence in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They knew God was there. They saw him. They recognized him. He dwelt that way as they began their wilderness journeys. God then told Moses later on, he told Moses to set up a tent, a tabernacle among the people, in the midst of the people. And he laid out in minute detail of how it was to be built. In Exodus 40 and 35, after Moses had built that tabernacle, the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It filled the tabernacle. It was God's presence among the people. God dwelt there. The tabernacle was a transportable dwelling place for God among the people. As God moved them, they were to break camp, pick up the tabernacle, carry it with them. God says, this is where we're going to camp out for a while. They stopped. They built the tabernacle again. God was there. God stayed there. God moved them. They moved the tabernacle. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, God removed his presence from them, from that tabernacle. God removed his presence from among the people after a disastrous defeat at the hands of the Philistines. There was a battle going on. 4,000 Israelites were killed. The priests who oversaw the tabernacle and, and they oversaw the, the sacrifices and, and the things that took place there. Uh, the priests Hophni and Phinehas were killed in the battle. Uh, their father Eli, who was uh, the, the priest, he died in a tragic death. They had brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle. And they said, look, we need a good luck charm. We're going to battle tomorrow. And the Philistines said, every man, man up. And they went to battle and the Ark of the Covenant was taken. Eli heard this news about the death of his two sons. And he fell backwards and he broke his neck and he died. Phineas's wife... At that time, was heavy with child, heard all this news as well, and she gave birth to the child. But as she was giving birth, she, she eventually died. But before she died, in the giving of birth, she gave the name to her son. Do you remember what the name of that son was? Ichabod. The glory is departed. We've been defeated. The glory is departed. For over 400 years later, Solomon built a permanent temple in Jerusalem. Once again, the glory of God. The Bible says that Solomon prayed and the glory of God fell. The glory of God filled that magnificent temple that Solomon had built. Centuries, though, go by of rebellion and apostasy. And God again... God eventually always says enough's enough. 
God removes his presence from the, that temple. It's destroyed by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar. And there's no temple. There's no tabernacle. The presence of God is gone. The second temple is built after uh, these exiles come out of Babylonian captivity. A second temple is built by Zerubbabel again in Jerusalem. And all these are built in Jerusalem. Uh, he, he builds another temple there much uh, less in, in grandeur and in, in extravagance that Solomon built. The Bible tells us that the dedication of that second temple, those older, <coughs> excuse me, those older men who had seen part of the first temple, that they literally weeped because the second temple was nothing like the first. They understood it was all about the glory of God. And all the Jews, this second temple, uh, these Jews and all the, these Jews that lived in the area, now they knew that they would come to the, t- the, the temple and they observed the, the Passover there. And the Bible But the Bible does not tell us that the glory of God ever dwelt there. They observed the Passover. They observed the feast in the second temple. But the Bible does not tell us that the glory of God actually dwelt there. It's your kind of glory did not fill that place. That second temple that Zerubbabel had built remained, remained into the New Testament time period. Where King Herod, do you remember him? Oh, wicked King Herod, in a few days here in our text, Jesus will stand before him and stand trial. Jesus will be beaten, bludgeoned and bruised, mocked, spit upon. King Herod, in an effort to gain some popularity with the Jews and with the chief priests and the religious leaders, he began an expensive expansion and restoration of that second temple Again, Jesus would stand trial in that very temple. It was this restored and expanded temple in Jerusalem that Jesus entered into that day. That very temple. I want us to see the divine authority that Christ that day as he enters into the very place. Listen with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse number 11. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse number 11. And there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall ye bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, and the heave offering of your hand. And all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. This was to be the place where God dwelled. This was to be the place of worship, the place of sacrifice to God. God, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God had not dwelt there in this place. But this day, understand how long it had been since the glory of God had departed. And here we are, right after the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. The glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ enters into the temple. This is absolutely amazing. 
He enters into the temple once again. There are literally thousands of worshipers. They have come from all over. It's a Passover feast. There are Pharisees. There are chief priests. There are scribes. There are temple guards literally everywhere. In the outer section of that temple, it was called the Gentile court. Matthew tells us that the chief priests and the elders demanded by what authority dost thou these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus, a man, was filled with the power of the Spirit of God. Matthew 28 and 18 tells us all power is given unto him, given unto me in heaven and in earth. Here is an authority that could not be stopped. We see the divine authority of God. It's an authority that could not be stopped. We have followed him through his ministry. Disease couldn't stop his authority. Deformity couldn't stop his authority. Death couldn't stop his authority. The devil couldn't stop his authority. And here the chief priests are dumbfounded by it. Who gave it to you? Where did it come from? How did you get it? Verse 18 says that the people were astonished by it. Here at the very beginning, I want you to get a hold of the divine authority of Jesus. But note, secondly, the devilish actions. Go back to verse number 17 of Mark 11. And he taught, saying to them, Is not written, My house shall be called a... Of all nations, a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. A den of thieves. They had turned the central place of worship into the central place of extortion and thievery. We've all heard of tourist traps. Here's a temple trap. They had set it up and they made it legal for them. It was all under the, the guise and the, the workings of the religious leaders. The religious chief priests had made this a lucrative trap to rob their own countrymen as they came to observe the Passover feast. They controlled the sale of the sacrifices. People would come and it was Passover, so you needed a sacrifice. And if you didn't bring one with you, if you couldn't carry one, if the journey was too far, the Old Testament allowed you to take your money and purchase one there. I dare say that they didn't take, you had to pass it through the the chief priests. If you brought your own, no, that one won't do, but you can get one that will over here. You see, they had it all worked out for themselves. So they were selling these things, selling these, these uh, sacrifices and robbing their, their countrymen and exorbitant prices. How come it is every time you go to one of those vacation spots, a hamburger is now 14 or $15? You know why? <laughs> Here they are doing the very same thing. They controlled the sale of sacrifices, a convenient monopoly. Not only did they do that, but they controlled the exchange of money and of currency. Uh, you had to uh, do a temp- pay a temple tax, and you had to pay for the, the sacrifices only with Jewish, Jewish coinage. 
If you come from another place, if you had come from, from uh, Denmark or from Sweden, or if you had come from, of course, in that time, if you had come from Egypt, or if you had come from uh, some other part of Macedonia, and you didn't have Jewish coins, uh, we could trade it for you, but guess what the exchange rate was? It wasn't to your advantage. None whatsoever. And it was another way to pilfer, another way to gather a little bit. And let me just stop here and say, indulgences to the Catholic Church is the very same thing. Didn't have to pay for that. Just threw it in for nothing. They controlled the money changers. Really, they were money takers. The thousands who had come to worship at the temple were being fleeced by the temple. They weren't, these weren't, understand, these weren't ushers taking up offerings. These were extortioners demanding payments. We see the divine authority. We see the devilish actions. But notice with me, we see the divine anger. Divine anger, verses 15 and 16. And he came to Jerusalem and Jesus went in the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and of the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. I remind you again of the authority of Christ, but now I want to remind you and I want us to see the divine anger of Christ. Question this morning. Question I'd like to ask all the the kumbaya, everything is okay with God crowd kind of people. Does God get angry? Does God get angry? The answer is, you better believe he does. You better believe he does. God gets angry with sin. God gets angry with all sin. 31 times in our King James Bibles, it mentions how that the anger of God was kindled. It was kindled. Understand, please get it and understand it though, that God's anger is never sinful. His anger is eternal righteousness against sin. It's never sinful. Like ours. It's eternal righteousness, and it's always directed at sin. I'm thankful that God loves the sinner so much so that he sent his only begotten son to die upon a cross. But all the crowd that runs around today that says God doesn't care about this, and he doesn't care about my lifestyle, he doesn't care about my immorality, he doesn't care about what I do or where I go or what I wear. No, God cares. God cares. God does not hate the people, but he hates the sin that the people find themselves living in. We see a divine anger. The Bible says that he comes in and he casts them out. He casts them out. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 15. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee off the face of the earth. He's warning the Jewish nation in this particular passage of Scripture, you better not worship any other gods. Don't have any other gods before me. 
Don't kindle the anger lest I destroy you, the Bible says. God is love and praise God for that. He commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he had ever right to be angry with us. But while we were yet sinners, he commended his love toward us. He sent his son to die for us. What I believe has been lost today most of all is the fear of God. No fear of God before their eyes. The Bible says that he cast them out in verse 15. He overthrew them in verse 15. If you want to understand the anger and the wrath, the kindling of God's anger, all we have to do is just a few pages over see Jesus hanging upon the cross. His only begotten Son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here Jesus is nailed. He's hanging by nails suspended between heaven and earth on an old wooden cross. We see the hatred of God against sin. He'd not suffer. He would not suffer or allow them, the Bible tells us in this other passage, they wouldn't even walk through. He wouldn't allow them to walk through, suffer them to even walk through. The, in this part of the Gentile court, it was a, an easy cut through. You ever find a shortcut? Especially if you're carrying a load. We'll just take the shortcut. It's easier. Well, this is a shortcut from one part of the city to the other. So we'll carry it through uh, this, this mercantile, this this bazaar, this flea market, we'll carry it all through here. And Jesus said, no, you won't even carry it through here. I don't even let you carry it through. He suffered them not even to bring anything that was not there for worship. He wouldn't even let them bring it through. We see his divine authority. We see the devilish actions. We see the divine anger. Now let me finish with this one. What's the so what to this passage? Number four and lastly. We see the direct application. The direct application. What do we learn from this temple cleansing by Jesus? How does it impact us today? Several applications that I I would choose to make and I'll put before you to consider. Number one. Today, today, there is no temple. The temple, there's no physical temple. There's no building there. The temple is that of the born-again Christian. We are, as born-again believers, we are the temple of God. This temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. They came in and they destroyed it completely. It's not been rebuilt. Today in God's economy, in God's time frame, in God's timetable, we are, the Christians are the temple of God. He dwells not in a building, but He dwells within the heart of the believer. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Our theme for this year, Galatians 2 and 20, Christ liveth in In me. Application. Number one. You are the temple. Application. Number two. God expects worship from his temple. 
God expects worship from his temple. This temple, your temple, if you're claiming to know Jesus Christ, your temple is to be a place of worship. Let that sink in just for a moment. It's to be a place of worship. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In our body, that means my actions. I'm to glorify God. In my spirit, that is in my attitudes, I am to glorify God. God expects worship from His temple. Third direct application. God's Word commands authority in His temple. God's Word commands authority in His temple. In our passage here, Jesus quotes two passages and He puts them together. But Isaiah 56 and 7 and Jeremiah 7 and 11 in verse number uh, 17. Look at it with me again. And he taught them saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? And boy, that'd be a great missions text right there to preach. <laughs> they, the, these religious leaders said, Oh, it's just the outward Gentile court. It really doesn't make any difference. No, it does make a difference with God. The Jew and also to the Greek, to the Gentiles, to all the nations. Go into all the world and preach to the nations. He says that his word is to have authority there. They knew it. They knew the word. These chief priests, they would have understood. They knew what Jesus was saying. They knew these verses, but they were not willing to obey it. Question. Does God work authority in your life? We're the temple of God. Does, God work, does God's word have the same authority in our lives? It ought to. It should. Would you be upset with me if you came to church and I had just went through? Or I'd pick up a book that I had read this week on a great philosophy. Maybe it was a comic novel. Maybe it was a, some kind of, I don't know. I don't read them, so I don't know what they're called. But if it was one of those, would you be upset with me? Would you want me to hang around? Why would we expect it anything less in our own lives? The Word of God having its authority. In other words, where God's Word says we don't, we don't. Where God's word says we do, we do. That's the authority. God's word commands authority in every temple. Lastly, and I'm done, direct application. God expects a clear testimony of holiness in his temple. He expects a clear testimony of holiness in his temple. Sin couldn't be allowed. Well, Lord, you think I could just dabble here and hang out here for a little while? I'll just pull it up in park and just hang out for a little while? No, no, you can't. I can't. We can't. As children of God, God 
expects and he demands a clear testimony of holiness. And we go back to this, this idea and this thought of all the nations, all the nations, my house shall be called a house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. It's to be a testimony to (coughs) all people around us. To where we go. The places we work. At school. Everywhere we go. God expects a clear testimony of holiness within His temple. Either we get right or God will get it right for us. Tonight we'll spend some time around the Lord's table. And one of the parts, one of the aspects of 1 Corinthians 11, it says that many of them slept. You know what? They just didn't get right with God. So God got it right for them. And it's better to be judge yourselves than have God judge us. God will judge his temple. God will judge his temple. God will also understand reward his temple. Reward his temple. He says it's called a house of prayer. What do we do when we pray? We bring our burdens, our requests, our needs to the Lord. And you know what he does? He blesses. He gives. He provides. All this morning. Some of you today, and we mentioned them, some I didn't even know about it. But I dare say there have been amazing prayers answered this week in a group this size. God does that on a regular basis. How does he do it? When does he do it? When our temples are right with God. When he can work through us a clear testimony. He rewards his temple. The presence of God is there. If you're claiming to be saved today, you're claiming to be a temple of God. That's not Baptist preacher, that's Bible truth. If God shows up, what would he find on the inside? That's the message. That's the direct application. What's our temples look like today? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're listening by way of live stream. If you're not born again, you're not the temple of God. You're being used as a pawn of the devil. Say, preacher, I, I, I run my own life. No, no, you don't. The devil runs it for you. Sin, you're bound by sin, bound in sin. But God can break you of that and break that bondage in your life. And he can save you from that penalty. Simply by trusting Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And be truly born again today. Be that temple of God. The one that God is worshipped in. That God loves. And God pours His blessings out upon. And that can be you. And if that is you today. And you've claimed Jesus Christ for years and years. But you look at your life. And you say you know what. It's not where it needs to be. And God's put His finger on some areas today. That needs to be cleansed. And God will forgive, and God will cleanse, and God will make new, and oh, God will bless. Would you receive His blessings today? Trust Him and be saved. Surrender. Give Him your life. Let's bow our hearts in prayer, please.